Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland and welcome to the show. Today's guest is the CEO of Ogun, which is a software company around construction site and installation management. He was the former head of innovation at Chelsea Group, which is the largest Spanish-owned steel company and the second largest European long product producer. He's an innovator by heart. Please welcome to the show Ignazi Salvador Villar. Hi, hello, Jens. Great to have you with me. So before we dive into all your exciting entrepreneurship and innovation topics, who are you? Tell us a bit about your story. Well, I'm Ignasi Salvador. I'm a civil engineer in Spain who, well, actually started working on a company that was doing engineering. And then I had the opportunity to found my own company. We started a company. I was 25, very young, but it was the first experience. It was quite exciting. And then I did an MBA moved to Denmark, worked in Denmark for five years, came back, joined a large corporation as a head of innovation, worked there for three, four years. And then two years ago, I moved from there and started my own business again, now in the software arena related to the construction. So okay. I would say I'm a guy that started with the first business quite young and then have experienced a bit of a large corporation, but I still have this thing inside now of creating new things. And that's why I actually moved. So you're grown up in Spain and lived in Denmark. Where else did you live on your journey? Uh, well, actually, even within Spain, I moved quite a lot. When I explain my story, I always say the same. I learned very, very young that the people that you meet in life, they just move and you just have to enjoy your time when yeah. you are with them because yeah. they're not going to be there forever. Actually, when I was two years, uh, we moved to Venezuela in South America because my father was working there. We were there for a couple of years and then we came back to Barcelona. Then I moved to Burgos, which is another city in Spain. And I was there until I was eight years. So at eight years, I again had to switch, I would say, my colleagues from school, came back to Barcelona. So I've been always moving around. And then I lived in Madrid for some years and came back with my wife. We always say after four or five years, we get tired of what we're doing. We cannot stay in the same place. So we just like to change. And we're always thinking, which is the next place? No? And so we always take, we go somewhere. We enjoy the time that we are there. We meet great people. We keep those connections. But we get tired of doing the same thing. Routine is something that doesn't go with us. <laughs> sort yeah. of. And then you said you're an engineer like I am. What brought you from being an engineer to go towards business? And doing an MBA, for example. Well, that's very funny because I would say there's a lot of engineers that end up doing MBAs. I think I did engineering because I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to do something tough. And I said, I can do it. It was something like 
I want to try myself to see if I'm able to do it, right? Mm. So I, I did civil engineering. I enjoyed it. But then, well, when we founded the company, actually, I started thinking that I, I wanted to learn a little bit more how to run a company. Then I started the MBA. And for me, it was mind-blowing. It's not about technique. It's about running a business. It's about all the other stuff that goes around that. Yeah. And from that moment on, I just said, well, I'm not interested in technique things anymore. I like <laughs> I enjoy building things. I enjoy creating things. I enjoy challenging myself in terms of is this possible, which is the best solution to make it work. And But it's not, I like other things also. So that's why the MBA. Mm-hmm. And I actually found out that I think it's like 25% of the people in the class were actually engineers also. So right. I think it's a very, very normal path. Even if when I was at the university, some people were telling me, you will end up doing an MBA. And I said, no, I will never do that. <laughs> but then the years went by and I said, yeah. And then it was great. It was really good. So you moved from a smaller business into a large corporation. How was that? Well, at first I got surprised about you know the amount of people and the amount of different functions that were there. Even if I was in a small business at the beginning, two or three years, we sold it into a business group. So I became part of a larger group, even if I was in a smaller company, but but part of a larger group. And that already gave me this opportunity of having meetings with other business units and starting to understand the ecosystem of of a large corporation. When I came back to Barcelona and I joined CELSA, I was in the headquarters. So it was a different situation. I was not in one business unit. I was, I was at the headquarters. And from there, I could see the whole constellation, right? Mm-hmm. I felt that, well, there were many things that could be done because you had the strength of a large corporation, but there was a lot of inertia on how the things were running. No? And then getting into the different business units, you also know that the things that happen on a business unit need to be really aligned with the objectives of that specific business unit. So you had to have a lot of politics. And that's something, I mean, I like talking to people and I like to get along with the different people and influence. I just realized that the corporation itself has a lot of strengths, but there are too many agendas. That's that I would say on a small organization, there is like one direction and it's easier that everybody agrees on that and that you want to do that. On a corporation... There are like inputs, you know, these metrics that you always have business units and functions, and, and then you have somebody reporting to different bosses and who is the one that really decides what you need to be doing. Plus, at the end, each person also wants to build their path into that ecosystem. When you put all that together, you really need to read what's going on before you start doing things. If you want to move something, you need to understand who needs to release that lever or who needs to push that to actually make those things happen. And sometimes it's not a direct answer. You need to go through other paths to actually make the right influence because you know that somebody will react depending on who providing the message. So you need to make sure that the yeah. message is provided by the right person and at the right time. No? So then you said one day, and I still remember it, we have been in one of our bi-monthly calls where we connected with the others as well. And then it's you just mentioned like, yeah, by the way, I will go into the startup life again. And all of us like, what? What's going on? So how did you decide that? Well, the startup, I mean, actually, the idea started in the corporation when we were there. And I was at a point where it was like, okay, should I stay in the corporation and push things? Because we were doing, I mean, well, I don't know, we'll get later into that, but we're doing quite amazing things in the corporation and a lot of projects. And you were touching many, many things now, the problem there is that 
for things to move forward, they didn't depend on me. And you were pushing too many things, so you were not focusing on anything specific. And there was this clash between the short-term objectives and the innovation objectives that you had, which made some projects that you thought that could move forward, they were really not moving forward because all the things which happened in the corporation, which are many, many things. So yeah. That was one thing. Then we had this idea that was already prototyped and we were getting some good feedback. And I was just giving the opportunity of, okay, you might want to jump there and then push it. And I said, well, I'm going to do that because things will depend on our team. I have a team focused on pushes forward. And I think it's something that I want to do now. So I just said, I was not too tight, I would say, to the title and to the life of corporation. I would say there were there was actually a lot of people very surprised that I did this move because the position I had in the corporation was quite stable. And I, I mean, it was pretty... But as I told you, I mean, I've been moving all my life uh, yeah. through things and I just felt it was the right move for myself. Also to challenge myself, it was for me a challenge not to say, okay, I'm going to get back there and I'm going to show myself and I'm going to show everybody that we can push this forward and make things happen. Yeah. And that was similar to my story where it's like a lot of people who are not directly involved in what you're doing, they don't understand why the hell are you stepping out of a large corporation where you have a safe haven? I mean, you need to work hard, but it's completely different ways of working than towards a smaller organization or specifically when it's startup business or your own business. So how do you see now the world as an entrepreneur? What has changed for you and for your family? And Well, first thing I felt is, and actually I have to admit that it was something I had forgotten because I already went through that, but then over years, you know, but I got to see that life outside corporations is tough. It's very tough. There are no safety nets. So it's not in large corporations, you can make a mistake and it will cost some euros to the organization, but that's it. Now in here, you are always into this point of, is this taking off? Is this not taking off? Which decisions that you take have a bigger impact on your organization. So this is something that was like the first thing I remind myself. No? Now, on the other side, there is this great feeling of I am setting up my own path. I am creating something for myself and for my team. And we are deciding what's going to be done. And the decisions can be taken quite quickly. I think this would be good, but I need to wait for the next corporate meeting, which is in a month and a half. And this is going to happen in there, but this guy is going to come. But okay, how am I going to do that to make the influence? And right after that, that guy will probably talk to the other guy. So I better talk to that guy before. So he has the right information. And then maybe in two or three weeks, I will get a feedback, uh, you know, the information. In here, it's like, okay, this is not working. We need to change. What do we want to do? Okay, we can do this, this, and this. Okay, who can I talk to that can actually give me a better or a different view of that. Okay, I probably need to talk to that guy. You give a couple of phone calls. In a couple of days, you have information you wanted to have to take a decision. You can decide and you can execute. And then you, you see things are moving uh, super fast. I always like to joke that when I was in the corporation, the innovation department was very quick at moving. We were actually too quick for the processes in the corporate to move. And we actually were allowed to do some things because of the innovation. But still, we were very slow compared to where we are right now. Right now, we are so much faster in many things. And this is the way I am. This is very, very satisfying. I mean, it's very rewarding because I like sometimes to say, but I think it happens to many of us, our mind goes much faster than our hands. So. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. You want to see that your hands follow, right? <laughs> and when you take one step, say, I'm going to do that, then you want to see that thing happening so you can see the effect and then you can take the next decision. And in this configuration, these things are happening every week. So what is the setup with Ogun right now for you? How many people are working with you? Yeah. What are you offering to the market? Yeah. Okay, well, we are a small team. We are five people right now working remotely because of COVID. Well, we started because of COVID-19, but then we realized mm-hmm. that we could work uh, remotely every single day. So that's the way we are operating right now. And what we have is a platform, an app, for people working in the construction industry and installation, which actually helps them organize better their work and be better coordinated. Right now, they're using basically WhatsApp, most of them. And what we're saying is trying to bring a bit more organized information, having everything on one pot, right? And it's a little bit tricky because the product needs to be simple enough for them to use and quick, so they don't need to learn how to use it, but also provide some organization. And that's what we are offering right now. And well, I would say that we have already 15,000 downloads of the app, more people using it every day. Of Mm. course, as always, wanted to be quicker and and have more people. But well, we're starting to see that the product starts to be after two years, because we started with a large organization with a product that didn't work. We had to cut it down. We had to rethink and throw the whole code again to the bin and start again. So we, we pivoted several times. But now we have something which is, I would say, stable enough to actually start getting more and more and more users. No? That's how we operate. In terms of daily work, it's pretty easy because we have a daily phone call, half an hour, to mm. see where we are. And that's pretty much it because out of the five, we have three developers. And the developers are just coding and doing their amazing thing because they make things happen. And then we are all the time connecting with users, trying to understand how they are using the product, which things we thought were going to work and they are not working, so we can tweak them. And we try every single two weeks to make a new release with small changes. And it's always the same thing. I think the key here is to improve small things one at a time. Improve things one at a time. And by doing that small improvement, you get the users to really use the app more and more. Because there are some stupid things that when you design, you think this is going to work. And then you just get into the hands of the users and they just don't use it for anything, no? I remember when we started, we started with the mobile app. Now we have mobile app and we have the desktop. Now, one of the things we did is that in the app, you could do everything. So basically, it had a lot of options. Now, when we did the web version, we decided to do it later. And that's one of the things that we decided at the very beginning. For this to work, the app needs to work because Mm -hmm. that's something that people use at the field. So let's forget about the web for now. Let's just concentrate on making something that works at at, that site. Okay, we did the app, but it needs to have all the possibilities. Hmm. Now, then when we saw that that was working, we said, okay, now it's the time to build a web version. Then we created the web version. And right after, what we've done is just take out all the things that you could do on the app that actually you didn't need to have in the app because now you can do them on the web. And that actually turned out that now the app is much simpler than it was before. And therefore, it's being more used than it was before. But the thing here is we could have started building the whole thing, web and app. But the yeah. problem there is that we didn't know if this was going to catch up. So we said, it doesn't make sense to spend the time of building a full system if you don't know if the basic is going to work. So when we built the app, we already knew that we will have to remove things later on. But I would say that was our prototype to make sure that that would work. So it's been quite a journey. 
it's always try to build something where you can learn what the users are doing so you can refine what you're doing and don't bother too much about where you're going to be next year. That's another thing I would say when you were telling me what you've learned. One of the things that now it's super clear for me, anything that goes beyond four to eight weeks ahead, I mean, you can put in paper, whatever. You can say, we will sell 1 million, we will sell 100, or we will turn into a huge whatever. It doesn't, you don't know. Actually, I don't know. So I'm just focusing on four to eight weeks and I expand that window every two weeks. I say, okay, now what's going to be next? No, And of course I have that light where I want to be in three, four years, whatever. It's just to guide me, but that's it. I don't know how I'm going to get there. You know, do one step at a time. That's brilliant. I'm coaching a lot of people with these topics and I always say them, don't focus specifically when they come from a large corporation, like we both came. You're used to, yeah, we have five years plan, even sometimes 10 years plans. And it's basically you put something out where you think it will happen and that's what you believe in. And you build detailed measures on how you will all do that. But in the end, it's not working, specifically when it's a multinational or international company where you need to convince so many people on all these different topics that it's not relevant for the next five, eight weeks or three months. I'm always saying like maximum three months, that's the utmost you can do. Specifically when you're still in phases of iterating your business every day. I mean, some businesses are already further where it's basically just plugging in and slowly developing it forward. But I still say just focusing on your customers, on your clients, on how you can provide value right now and take it to the next step, take it to the next step. Instead of saying, yeah, we are now planning to do this the next five months. And then after a month, you're figuring out or a couple of people in your team are saying, no, it's not working anymore. But you're saying, no, but we have said we will do it. And you, you're just pushing in that direction because you said you do it. That's one of the things that I've been caught there several times and <laughs> I've already learned that that's not working. Now, for example, one example of that, we, and it has happened already to us during the last two months, no, three months, you release something new, just a small feature. I say, well, I'm going to release these and these and these in the following three months. So I want to release these three features in the next three months. Great. You release the first one. And then you start re- working on the second one. But in the meantime, there are some things that need to be refined on the, se- on the first one. Yeah. We have already learned. Now we are better at planning because we know that when we release something, the next two weeks, it's about refining some of the things. They're just small things, but we're always trying to make sure that what we have is solid enough so we can build something on top. Yeah. Because if you yeah. put one 50% feature, another 50% feature, another 50%, fe- then it starts moving too much. So... There are always one, two weeks where we say, okay, now we are just getting back to what we did and refining that, make that feature really fit with the other things so the design is the same or whatever, or we have missed here. Now, for example, one example on our app, most of our users use it to upload photos related to the different tasks that they are doing. Mm-hmm. And they just to report and they have their photos organized per task and they know which ones are done and so on. Now, you can download those photos from the system one by one. But some of them said, we have so many that I would like to take them all together. We did an export, which actually allows you to export the whole project. So you get all this. And they say, no, 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 but we want to select these, 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 these five photos. I would like to download those five just in one. Mm. Okay, this is something small to do, but it's so critical for where we are right now that we just said, yeah, we wanted to do something else right now, but let's focus on this this week. And that's yeah. what we're doing this week. We're just getting that clear. Because what we want is that any user that comes in, we don't get any other that says, oh, that's great, but I'm missing that. 
we have heard that so many times that it's just like, okay, let's get it done, done, that's it. No? Yeah. We move to the next one. So yes, being caught by your own plants is a stupid, it happens, it has happened to us several times, but it's so stupid because you're just doing that because you don't want to admit that your plan was wrong. Exactly. Then the best thing you could say is, okay, I cannot plan more than four to eight weeks. I'm not going to commit to anything farther than that because otherwise I'm sure there will come something in the way that I will have to switch my plans on. Yeah, specifically on the details, like you said, you can have something like a vision perspective, which gives you a direction, but it's not in all details. I do exactly the same. That was so hard for me coming from the large corporation to do that and learn it. So I did it wrong. Like I started with a five-year plan and all my business, like, yeah, let's do it. And then you figure out like after a day, you can basically put it in the basket. It doesn't work. Yeah. You know, one of the toughest things I find right now being on a startup with that mindset that we are just talking about is how you speak to new investors. Because they want to see something in three, five years. Mm. In paper, you can many things, right? When I'm talking to them, I'm always telling, look, when I translate our vision into paper, that's what I can see. Mm. But what I'm sure about is what we're going to do in the next four to eight weeks. I am not sure how I'm going to get there. And most probably next year, those numbers will not be correct. But this is some investors, they just say, this is not acceptable for us. No? And I think it has to do with what you were saying. It depends on how developed your business is. In a sense that probably in two, three years from now, I'll, we will be more able to say, this is our three years plan. Because yeah. that yeah. is more about, I have already validated completely my product. I know exactly how I'm getting the money. I know what works and what doesn't work. And now it's a matter of scale. And I would say when you get into the stage of scaling, then you can rely more into in those type of forecasts. And I guess that's what happens in, well, in corporations, you have a stable business. So you can really say, oh, there has been a deviation of 3%. Right? That's for us, a deviation of 3%. <laughs> we counted 20%, no? 20, yeah. 40. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that you're working with. So... No, I agree. I think it's, for example, when you have a product that's working in one country and you open another country, which is, let's say, similar structure, similar needs of the people, then you can basically say, okay, we have done this, so we can base our way of thinking on that numbers and kind of extrapolate to figure out if that's really working or not. But it's still validating it on the way. So we're talking already a lot of innovation content, even if we keep it under the umbrella of entrepreneurship. So what is innovation for you? Well, for me, innovation, I like to define it as a way to attack a problem on a way that has not been done before mm. and use your knowledge and your and the connections that you can get. I mean, get the resources that you have at hand to attack something where the solution is not clear. So mm. basically, if we talk about the problem space and the solution space, you either have a clear problem that you want to solve, but you don't know how to solve it. Or, which is more tricky, you have a solution and you're trying to find which problem that solution can solve, right? which is, yeah. I would say, two different things. But I would say that's the basics. Then there is, and not for me, there is another type of innovation, which is even, for me, it's more interesting, is actually when you don't even know which is the problem and you don't even know which is the solution. So yeah. you go out there, and you try to identify problems. 
And once you have the problem well-defined, then you start thinking of which is the solution. No? So you have all these part of research and well understanding of and empathizing no, with, the, with the situation and try to identify which type of things could be solved. No? Mm. But basically, it's uncertainty. I mean, it's trying to solve something where you cannot refer to past experiences. As you were saying, if you're opening a new country and you have already done that before, well, this is just a development. Remote. Yeah, development, but yeah. Uh-huh. When you are trying to solve something that has not done before. This is innovation for me. Yeah, that's cool. So, from an innovation perspective, you have now the two extremes: like working in a more startup in a smaller company and working in a large corporation. What is the difference of innovating in both of these companies or company levels? Well, in large corporations, I mean, first of all, is the resources that you have at hand. So, in large corporations, you can leverage much more money and more people around you and so you have more resources to do what you want to do mm. whereas in the startup you don't have that in terms of the speed you are uh, we were talking before you are much faster in the startup mode than you are in the corporation when i was in the corporation one of the things we were talking to we were pitching to the startups that we were working with is if you come and work with us you will be able to try your product in places that you would never have access to so apart from the resources that you can pull together to specific projects, you as a corporation, what you have is a set of assets that are really valuable for some people out there to try out. And a marginal gain in a corporation can mean millions. So if you are able to optimize a production process by 3% or 5%, that could really mean a lot of money. So I would say that's the approach I was having when being in the corporation is that you need to understand. So it's tougher on the sense that you are not as quick as you would be on the other side, but you have things that the other guys don't have. Mm-hmm. And then innovating in the startup world, there is a great benefit is that you don't have any debt on technical or, or mm-hmm. organizational debt. So you're starting with a clean paper. So you can basically start the best way you can think of. You don't have those restrictions like, I would like to do it this way, but because of the organization, I cannot do it. Yeah. In a startup, it's like, okay, we want to build that. Okay, which is the best-in-class solution to solve that way? Because there are some things, when you have built something for uh, three years, then you basically, there might be some things out there that you will not use because you rely still on some things you built three years ago and you cannot crack that. So but when you start, you say, okay, how can we do that the quickest way? Let's do this and this and this. And then you can just get out there very quickly with something which is a little bit clunky, but helps you learn if what you're trying to do makes sense or not. Yeah. So I would say those are the two differences. And I am, I mean, I think there is room for both things, but you, the important thing I would say is to really understand which are your limits on both situations. So you don't try to do something which, it, which you know or it's very likely not to succeed. No? Yeah. What are the points where you struggled most with in a large corporation setting from an innovation perspective? Well, first of all, uh, cultural change. So uh, working, make the organization understand that in innovation, you can fail. Hmm. Whereas in normal business, you can't. And you should uh, fail. You should <laughs> fail, yeah. And it's the same guy. That's the tough thing because for that guy on his daily work, he's like, I, there is a process. I need to follow the process. You know, now, when you take that guy and say, no, we're going to do innovation, he's like, yeah, well, where is the process? Am I able to... No, no, yes, 
try it and let's see. Yeah, but what if? Oh, well, what if? It doesn't matter. That's how it works. It's the best way. We need to learn very quick if this is working or not because we either kill it or we just double it, right? I would say that was one of the toughest parts. What we did there is that we built an internal training program, which basically we achieved to have some people in different departments that really understood the thing. And then the effect was huge. Hence that if those guys get it, when they get back to work into their daily work, they start to get that mindset for specific things. Of course, not for daily work, but for some specific things, they are already thinking on, what if we try that? But I would say that was one of the toughest things. And then the other thing is the priorities. So it's not just that they dare to take some risks. It's also that they are valued for doing those, for trying them out, and that that doesn't clash with their objectives. Because at the end of the day, time is limited. That's in here. The feeling I had there is that I was trying to get time from people. That's basically the resource that I was I was fighting for. And nobody can give you that. Even if there is a direction that says, yeah, this is important. But one thing is to say this is important. The other thing is, what do they measure? Huh? Yeah. So did you have specific metrics for innovation, which are on company level, which you are able to share? Well, yes. What we were measuring is how many of the projects that we were starting through this program that we had as a because we had an entrepreneur program and we had a program with startups. Hmm. Now, with each of them, we were starting projects, but then we were measuring how many of those were still alive a year after. Yeah. Very basic, but it's a mix between, is this a good idea? Have we been able to convince people that it makes sense to work on this? And then what has it happened with this project once it's plugged into a business unit? Yeah. That because if, if it's under the innovation team, then you still can protect it somehow. When you just plug it into the business unit, then you just see, okay, is this alive or not? And that's one of the things we were measuring. And then we were also measuring the engagement. So the ideas that were coming from people that went through those programs after they have completed the program. So mm. one year after, how many of the 100 people that go into that were still connected with us voluntarily and were pushing some projects into their business units and were actually bringing new ideas to share. No? We created like a community, kind of a alumni. You could see, is this still alive or not? No? And you could see there were some people who really were very active there and trying to connect to others. And that's the kind of thing we we're measuring, apart from, of course, which were the gains that we were providing to the business in terms of money no? or savings or new sales or whatever, depending on the, on the type of project, of course. That's something, it's always like one thing is focusing on the culture, which will be a long-term perspective, shifting the business to be more innovative. And the other part is how do you contribute with innovation towards your business goals or the business goals of the total company that you can show, hey, we're part of your success? Yeah. How does it look like from a startup perspective now? Do you have specific metrics which are focused on innovation or is all purely business focused? In our case, it's basically business what we have now because i would say for example one of the main challenges we have now is how we turn our users which are not techie let's say mm. to actually start using a solution which is a technical solution that is helping them to organize their work better i like to say that if i was competing with a system which is already in place i would have to convince my users that my system is better than the other system 
Yeah. But we would already have a system that they are used to, to either track tasks or mark things are completed or something. Mm. Right now, it's a lot of cultural change we are also doing here. Yes. How do you convince somebody to get into the routine of following up their tasks and getting into the systematic thing? No? Right now, that's basically what we are measuring is how many of the users that come in with us stay with us after a couple months. And that's the number we are focusing on. You could say it's an innovation because it's not yet clear how to solve this, but it's funny because... I'm now right now reading a lot about behavioral economics and all this kind of stuff. It's tough to change how people behave, right. change their routines. No, like it's like when you join a gym or a diet or whatever you want to do, and you say, "I'm going to do that," and then after a couple of weeks, you just mm, I will skip today, and then no, then it's gone. And so, how do we create a system that actually helps you? be on top of what you need to be doing no? and that you can see that by doing that, you are getting better and better. So you can actually keep doing it. It's quite interesting. You just basically explained in the last corporation, there's an innovation department or structure, which is supporting the company to be more innovative. And in a smaller corporation or in a smaller startup perspective, it's basically all about how do you innovate your business every day? Because it's your business that needs to move on. So yeah. why do you think a large corporation needs an innovation department or something which is connected to innovation? Well, because I think once you start growing the organization, you start hiring people for specific tasks and their view tends to be limited to those tasks. Hmm. So it's difficult to have a wider view of where you want to bring the business to, which is the next step in terms of innovation for your company. Whereas on a small organization, we all do a lot of things. And we are always thinking on, you know, how is this going to move? So you still have, everybody feels that is part of the decision team that is trying to figure out which are the next steps. Whereas on a large organization, you have, you know, a guy in the department, I need to sell, that's what I'm doing. I need to produce, that's what I'm doing. And then, okay, how do you take that and shake it? So I think the innovation teams that have been during the last years being created in so many organizations, I think they're basically a team of people to shake the organization and make everybody look up and say, okay, are we where we want to be? Where will we be in the future? And this is something we need to work all together. Yeah. It's not just the top management that needs to decide things. It's about uh, people looking outside and seeing what's on outside and how those things will influence our business, right? Yeah. So if you could think of like, there is one innovation topic which you can bring out into the whole world. So for example, if we compare, I'm on my mission where I want to reach 1 million people to empower them to innovate in 2021. It's now, today is the 5th of January. So how would you take something like innovation towards the mass to, to a lot of people? How would you explain the benefit of innovation to a lot of people? Well, I would say that if you do innovation, you will actually find spots to do new things that you were not aware of. So you need to really step back on your day-to-day -day and look outside hmm. and reconsider how you can change what you're doing to look at the at the next step. So the dynamics right now are moving very quick and we can see with COVID-19, things are moving yeah. extremely fast. So to be prepared to be where you want to be next year, you need today to reconsider what you're doing and not have the fear of changing things. 
because we know also that most of the times, and I, I actually agree a lot with what I'm going to say right now, is innovation comes when people are under pressure, when you have mm. problems, because there is no other way. You either innovate or you die, and then the innovation comes. Now, the tough part is how do you innovate when you are not at that situation? Because yeah. if you would be against the wall, you have no other option. You innovate or you die. Okay, then you innovate. And that's the main problem of incumbents, right? They have a good position and then they don't feel they need to change because things are going pretty well. So why should I change? And that's what is tougher is innovate when things are running well, right? Slowly getting to an end. As you mentioned it already, even that you're not really thinking about what is happening in a year from now, but where do you think you will be as a person in which state you will be in a year from now? Well, I feel that I would still be exploring uh, new things and trying out new things. I love the situation right now with COVID of working from home and, you know, being close to the family. Mm. Uh, I think it's something that people have learned. And, and also for me, it's been, for in the past, I've traveled so much when I was uh, in the different places, not in Denmark and in Spain before. And right now, I would like to keep as I am right now, which is uh, basically being close to the family. I also like traveling, of course. But, uh, and then in terms of project, always thinking on new things. So it could either be, I mean, both with Ogun moving it forward and also thinking on new things because as I was telling you, I am not a person that likes to get a business running and just keep running it. I'm always trying to think what's next, what's next. You know? So I don't know, it's difficult for me. I was, I was telling you, I know what I'm going to do in the next four, eight weeks, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do in the year. But my North Star is always the same, is I want to be doing something that I'm challenged and that it makes sense. So it's bringing value to some people. And that actually, it also, to keep me challenged, I know that I need to move topic every certain time. What are the things you keep yourself up to date with, like blog posts, podcasts, newspapers, whatever, books? What are the things you recommend people who are thinking like you or want to explore but your way of thinking? Well, I like to read some books about right now this thing of behavioral economics, I was telling you. I think mm -hmm. it's very, very important. And I always like to read. I'm very conscious about this intoxication we have and the effect of the social media on us only reading things that we like. So I always, in terms of politics, like to read the other side. Mm -hmm. I'm following guys that I don't like at all, but just following them to understand their thinking, because I think it's very, we need that. Otherwise, we just get into thinking that what we read is what is the reality, and yeah, sometimes it's not like that. Yeah. yeah. And then in terms of, it just changed. I would say, uh, for example, right now, I'm very interested on learning. So I'm starting to read a lot about that. I always like to have one topic I'm very interested of. And as I was saying, I'm just switching that from time to time. Yeah. But when I get one of those topics, I'm just, okay, I'm going to do a course on that. I'm going to read different articles about it because then it just keeps myself challenged on a specific thing. No? And so yeah. like yeah. to have a wider perspective, but always get one thing and get deeper on that. Just deep enough so I'm able to speak with people about it and understand yeah. the basics and so on. No? That's what I'm doing. I don't have like a specific blog post I'm following. And I was reading for many years a lot about innovation. Now I'm reading less and less about that. But I guess, well, I just got to a point where I said, you know, with this, I think with what I'm doing, and of course I keep a little bit updated, but I try not to have too many. So I, I would say each month I unsubscribe from three or four things yeah. that I have subscribed for. Because when I see that I have received 
10 of those and I haven't read them, I'm just, okay, that's, that, that, I'm going to move into another one there because otherwise you cannot concentrate, no? So yeah. I'm trying to keep focus. Otherwise it gets a little bit, I don't get the feeling that I'm progressing. I need to see progress and the way to see progress is to, okay, I take this topic, it might be just for two or three months and that's what I'm doing for two or three months. Then I might be doing something else, no? Love that. That's an interesting perspective of a kind of lifelong learning approach where it's like, being interested in a lot of things and go deep into one thing. And if you are not interested or have enough knowledge about that, then you switch to another thought. It's yeah. really, really cool. Where can people find you? How can people reach out to you? Well, very easy. Like all of us, we are in LinkedIn. Very easy. Ignacio Salvador, you can find me there. I would say that's where you will always find me because if I'm switching from things, it's easy to lose track. And then, well, our website is www.ogon.io. It's uh, in there. Uh, we're also connected. And that's it. I think today, that's one of the beauties of the life that we are living in, is that if you want to connect with somebody, it's extremely simple. You just yeah. look for his name and there are not so many Ignacio Salvadors in the world, so you will find me straight away. <laughs> it's very easy. <laughs> yeah. I will put as well the book, Behavioral Economics and your links as well into the show notes so people can just click on the link in the show notes and find you very quickly to connect. Cool. Okay. Thank you very much for your time, Ignazi. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks to you, Jens. As always, a very nice talk to you too. Thank you. Hey, this is Jens again. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you have listened to, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episodes with your friends and people you think might like it too. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, please follow me on social media or look me up at jensheitland.com. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.